right, everyone. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass Podcast. This is a different episode. This is a little different because this is actually my first non-veteran guest, but because how we connected, you're almost in the same vein of all my veterans I connect with. So today's guest is Alan Gregory. Alan, how are you, sir? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. And this episode is another testament to the power of LinkedIn. So before a couple of weeks ago, did you know me? Did I know you? No. Right. And then we had a couple messages back and forth on LinkedIn. And I think it's you reached out to me, right? Cause you're a SEPA, right? Which I'm always reaching out to, to people and guests. So it's actually nice when someone reaches out to me once in a while. So thank you. I'll give you that. And so we started chatting a little bit. I looked at your background like, Oh, you're a SEPA. So we're in the same world. I'm out here in California. You're in Maryland, correct? Yes. Awesome. And I said, let's have a conversation. So a little different topic uh, than, than most of my guests, but I, I welcome it. And so if you are a veteran business owner and you're looking to maximize the value of your business, so if and when you decide to sell or the next chapter in your life, when you want to close that chapter in your business, our goal as SEPAs, I'll let you talk about what SEPAs are, is to help you maximize the value of that business. So you're getting the maximum multiple and the maximum dollars in your pocket. And then working with all your other professionals collaboratively to help that you and your family retain as much of those assets when you sell the business versus giving it to Uncle Sam, right? So, Alan, tell me a little bit about you, sir. Yeah, so I am a digital marketer by background and trade. So I started digital marketing, I want to say way back in 2005 as a marketing analyst at a small internet firm in Manhattan. And the reason I left corporate America is because I realized after I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, cover to cover, twice over the Thanksgiving 2007 holiday, I realized that I wasn't really an employee. I was actually an entrepreneur. So when I left corporate America, I bumped my head on the internet, buying everybody's courses and all this stuff. And I stumbled across copywriting. So I started writing emails on Fiverr and Upwork and stuff like that. And that kind of just allowed me to do a lot for business owners. So I learned a lot about what business owners need in terms of digital marketing. So that lasted from around 2011 to about 2020. When the pandemic hit, Everybody reinvented themselves, me included, and all the work that I had been doing for people, emails, ads, funnels, and stuff like that, I realized that I could get equity in these companies and not just be getting a normal retainer hourly, weekly, monthly, whatever it was. And that's kind of what led me into being a SEPA and learning more about consulting for equity and M&A in general. That's a great lesson, and I applaud you for having the wherewithal to see that, realize it, and think differently. I see many individuals get stuck in a W-2 mindset where I'm doing a job and that's my worth, right? And you have a skill, you're delivering value, you're helping create value through your own emotional uh, sweat and your sweat equity, literally. And then your skill set, I'm sure, has evolved over those 10, 10 plus years when you were doing that. How did you hear about the SEPA program? Actually, let me take a step back. What is a SEPA? And I'm going to call myself for using jargon. We should never use jargon. I'm just using it because we're both SEPAs. But what is a SEPA for our audience, Alan? A SEPA is a certified exit planning advisor, someone who earned the designation through EPI, which is called Exit Planning Institute. And how did, thank you. And how did you learn about SEPA being a digital marketer? Where, how did you find out about it? So when I learned about M&A in December of 2020, I started reaching out to business owners probably around 2022 because I wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about. So I learned a lot about that. When I started reaching out to business owners about potentially selling their business, 90% of them are not ready to sell their business. And most of my colleagues are like, well, if they're not ready, 
okay, we'll just go to the next one. And I'm like, as a marketer and a consultant by nature, one, I wanted to help them, these people because I'm a consultant, but because I'm a marketer, it's a sin for you to throw away 90% of your leads. I'm like, what are you guys doing? So I, I didn't have any sort of designation or credibility in the M&A space other than I had been in these mastermind programs. So when I found out about EPI and that they had this exit planning certification, I went out and reached out and got it as soon as I could so that I could start having the credibility to help these other people with these problems that I'm seeing in the marketplace for M&A, mergers and acquisitions, by the way. Sorry. That's great. And I appreciate you clarifying that. So before we jump into SEPA part, go back to the mindset you have, because a lot of what I chat about with our guests is mindset, having the entrepreneurial mindset. The fact you caught or recognize an opportunity, an issue, a challenge. Like, as you said, these guys are throwing away 90% of the leads because they can't get a sale today. They're all about what, what's going to feed feed me today. In fact, like, well, this is maybe not a steak sandwich or a steak dinner tonight. However, this could be a huge buffet in two, three, four, five years, right? And so when did you have or how, what clicked in your mind that you're, um, what I'm trying to ask here is, understand your thought process as an entrepreneur for our guests who are listening, who may have that entrepreneurial spirit. It's, it's a certain mindset. Entrepreneurs think a certain way. So I'd love to get in your mind a little bit, Alan, just hear kind of what your thought process was or how you recognize that opportunity. So I'll go back to kind of like grade school. I was Please. always one of these creative people, right? So, and this is going to sound like bragging, but don't, don't take this the wrong way, guys. I slept through school for 12 years and got straight A's. I'm that guy. Right. So when it came time for me to go to college, I had what did I have? I had Drexel and I had Brown as scholarships. And I'm like, guys, if I'm going to go to school for another four years and sleep through class, I can. Why bother? It doesn't make sense. So the guidance counselor thought I was crazy. My mother started laughing because she knew what I was going to say. So I thought that was kind of cool. But um, all that to say that I'm a self-taught person. So I've taken all my experiences, all the books I've read, I'm looking at my library here, every TV show, every movie that I've watched, and I've made my own, I actually, like, there's this thing called lifestyle design. I designed how I wanted my life to be, and when COVID hit, I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity. Everybody saw it as chaos. I saw it as an opportunity, and that's always been my mindset. So when bad things happen, quote, unquote, bad things, there's always an opportunity for me to express my creativity, and that's kind of why and how I think. I love that. And I'll just give you a compliment because you and I haven't talked this detail before, correct? This is, I'm learning about you as you're sharing this with me right now live. And I will share as a veteran entrepreneur, all, everything you've chatted about are the basic traits of leadership, being thrown in a situation, analyze it, doing a SWOT analysis, strength, opportunities, weakness analysis. Hey, we got option one, two, three, let's go this way. So I'm going to say I think you would have been an amazing military. If you went in the military were an officer or a non-commissioned officer, I think you would have done a great job because you're thrown in a weird situation and you have to take initiative to figure out a solution. And no one's making you do it, and you're choosing to do it. That initiative, that grit, either you have it or you don't. So I'm giving you a compliment for having that, man. So I appreciate you sharing that little bit of story. So finding the opportunity, throwing away 90% of the leads, let's get something out of it. You need the credentialing, right? So you want to have some respect or who, who is this guy? Does he know what he's talking about, right? Or this is some hustler, right? right. So I, I, I battle that all the time. Hence why I have seven designations because I want to make sure I know what the heck I'm talking about and for that exact reason. And actually I've been doing this 20 years. You've only, you've been on doing it. You've been in this world 
few years less than me, but I bet over time because of who you are, you're going to find another opportunity and get another designation, another op- – so that's actually why I have all mine as my career has progressed. Oh, I need this. Oh, there's an opportunity. Oh, oh, and you just keep learning, learning, learning and building your skill set, building your toolbox. You can always deliver more value to your clients. So I think you will be – You'll have as many designations, if not more, than me in a couple of years here as as you sink your teeth into this, man. So I, I commend you again for that. But let's go back to our audience. If you're a veteran entrepreneur, you are that 90% of business owners who are not ready to sell. I'd say it's even 95, right? I'd say it's 95. Yeah. And so for those 95 are thinking about the future – Talk about what you've seen when you were doing your calls with them in M&A. What are you hearing? What are there some constant responses or are there blanket responses that you were hearing across the industry? Give us the lay of the land, Alan. The biggest problem or, well, in my case, opportunity, but for them, it's a problem is everybody is scared. Most business owners are saying, if I sell my business, how am I going to replace my income? That is chief number one concern of most of these business owners. Now, that's for the 95%. For the ones who do think that they are ready to sell, they're probably not. And the reason they're not, a number one problem again here, is owner dependence. If the business is dependent upon you, you don't have a business. Technically, you're self-employed and have that dreaded word, a job. And that these are the things that I see constantly over and over again. That's a phenomenal point that you made. I consider it. You have in, in our world, in the financial advisory world, my world, where my like my owner hat on. Mm-hmm. Do you have a business or do you have a practice? Right. Right. So I have a financial planning and wealth management practice. If I am not here, there there is no business. It's gone. I am the business right now. So all the same things you're you're discussing, I'm thinking about with my own business. Cool. cool I want to turn my practice into a business as well. So how do you help a business owner? who may have the job right now, start to think differently and, and think about what's the first step, I guess my question, when you when you're when someone says, okay, you're right, I want to maintain my standard of living, right? It's what you're hearing them say. They're they're worried about if I sell my business, my lifestyle changes. What's the first step in the conversation you normally have with a business owner? So there are, of course, you know, there's a bunch of nuances and stuff, but I'm going to keep this simple because my my marketing background kind of taught me to make all this as simple as possible so owners understand what I'm actually talking about. And if I take you through 18 steps, neither of us have time to talk about that, right? So I broke it down to four steps. The very first step, I tell this to everybody. Everybody thinks they've got it right. They probably don't. Standard operating procedures, As a military guy, obviously you understand that. Most business owners think they've got standard operating procedures, but when I ask them to email them to me, they're like, no, I I got them in my head. And I'm like, that's not standard operating procedures. That's that's not what that is. So that's the first step. The second step is, as a CEO, you understand this, succession planning. What does your life look like when you leave this business, number one, and number two, Who's going to take it over? Do you have a GM in place? Do you have general manager? Do you have somebody else who's going to be your number two, so to speak? And then number three is business finances. Don't go into your QuickBooks and just press a button and think that your finances are going to pop up properly and I'm going to be able to evaluate your business. Ideally, you want to have your financials audited uh, annually by a uh, by a CPA. Now, of course, everybody's got now. Some people don't have their QuickBooks together. But it is very important to not commingle funds, don't have all these things all over the place, because a lot of deals 
that are potentially going to be, you know, purchased as an M&A transaction fall apart in due diligence. And what happens is I just had a gentleman I talked to three days ago. He said, man, my, my guy, like he, he, he ghosted me. And I'm like, I bet you that happened during due diligence after you signed the LOI letter of intent. He was like, that's exactly what happened. I said, it happens all the time. So I say that to say, as a business owner, don't just start pulling money out of the business and treat it like an ATM. Leave money in the business so you have a viable business that has working capital. That's step number three. I kind of belabored that, but that's step number three. And step number four is finding the right buyer. So there are different types of buyers in the market for M&A transactions. You have competitors. You have PE, private equity funds. You have individual investors that are strategic buyers that either have owned a business in that niche or are high net worth individuals that had a job in that niche that want to come in and say, okay, well, now I've got a business instead of a job. If you follow those four steps, and of course, there's more nuances to it, but if you follow those four steps, it's going to help you uh, maximize your business value. I love that. I love that. So what there, there's the human element. So everything you said makes sense, right? It logically makes sense. But then there's the emotional element when the business, oh, I got in my head, which I had in my head. My own, I'm thinking my own business. Every time I do this podcast, I'm, I'm self-reflecting. And I hope if you're listening right now and you're an entrepreneur, you're doing the same thing. And a lot of times you just feel guilty because you know what you should be doing, but you're just getting by. And yes, you're, you're present, but you're also worried about 15 other things, your family, your kids and sports, and uh, I could work a little bit more. So how hard is it for those business owners when you chat with them, Alan, to say, yeah, should probably do things a little differently. I could get everything out of my head and get it down. How, how, how do those conversations go for you? That is the most difficult thing. Usually when I talk to someone about standard operating procedures, I don't necessarily require the business owner to do it because they're too close to it. So ideally what I do is I've got this um, SOP template thing. It's kind of like a one pager. I say, look, take this one page, give it to your top employee and have them fill it out. It's, it's very simple. It doesn't take them through everything that they do, but have them fill it out and then have the people that are under that key employee, top employee, fill out their versions. Then we start having meetings about what needs to be done, what's actually getting done, what's not getting done and all that stuff. And then once you can bring all those people together to be working toward a common goal of actually having this thing standardized and templatized, it takes the business owner out of it. So it automatically reduces owner dependence and it gives the employees more accountability, more ownership of what they're actually doing in their role at that company. That's huge. And so when owners, let me ask you that when you're having that conversation, how many owners are actually willing to do that? Or does that just stop the conversation right there? And you can be brutally honest with me. <laughs> it's it's 50-50. You've got some that are like very open to doing it and want to do it. And you've got some that say they want to do it. But every time I push them on it, they push me back. So that happens. And, and that So with that, it really comes back to is the owner ready to sell, right? Mm-hmm. And if someone is truly beginning with the end in mind – Mm-hmm. And then they want to sell and they want to maximize the value of their business. They want to get their ducks in a row. They want to get their house in order. They will go through that. But as you said before, if I'm just rock and roll and I'm making good money, I have a good lifestyle, why rock the boat? And may, I may be thinking about the future, but do I really want to change something now? So talk again about is there a certain age you see of a business owner or experience level or how deep are they in the business? Did they inherit from their parents? They started from scratch. Has it been five years? Has it been 15 years? Has it been 30 years? What are you kind of seeing when 
what is an average, if there is an average or demographic or time frame, these entrepreneurs were really serious about del- delving into their business and getting their, their ducks in a row, getting their house in order for SEPA to come and help them with that journey. So I'll take you back to the demographics after I answer this more important question. It is usually an identity issue because people identify with their business. And the reason that some of these M&A transactions, even if you go through due diligence at on Friday afternoon, when you're ready to sign the deal to, you know, quote unquote, sign your business away. If you don't know what you're going to do on Monday morning, because you're like, I've, I am this business. I've been this business. I'm signing my my life away, so to speak. That's that's the problem. It's usually an identity crisis, and and that's an emotional thing that I usually have to deal with. So if we go back and we take it to to the demographics, usually people that are 55 and older are more open to something like this. You've got people that have you know a SaaS software as a service company. Some of these young hotshot guys they want to sell their business for 10x multiple and you know, maybe sit around for a little while and start another business. Those guys aren't as receptive as the people that are 55 and older. And I tell people, if you're 55 and older and you're not at least planning this thing, three bad things could possibly happen to you. You could end up living with your children. You could end up working at Walmart or you can end up in an old folks home. None of those are favorable. They're all terrible outcomes, right? But if you're a business owner and you're constantly using your business as an ATM and you've got no idea about you, you turning 60, 62, 70, God forbid, and you don't have any of this stuff in place to harvest the value from your business. You spent your life building this business. And now when you're ready to retire, you can't replace your income because the business is still dependent upon you. You probably should listen to what I have to say for, for a couple of reasons. I'm going to help you plan your exit. I'm going to walk you through the liquidity event because I've got 5,000 people who want to buy businesses right now where I could press a button and say, hey, I got this business that's ready for sale, especially if I've taken them through the planning process. And then after the liquidity event, I've got wealth managers that are ready to help you manage that wealth so that you can actually keep it for as long as possible. That's phenomenal. So what do, cause there are different types of SEPAs, right? There's different kinds of SEPAs that do different, different things. So I'm more the quarterback. I'm, I'm the connector. That's what, that's why I roll as a connector. So I have a business owner. So for our, our audience who doesn't know me personally, my professional hat, I own a wealth management firm called Strategic Wealth Endeavor. We do wealth management and business consulting for veteran entrepreneurs. So most of that, my technician hat, I'm a 401k consultant. I'm a retirement plan consultant. And so that was my need. As you help companies, the first step for most businesses, the first step in liquidity is a 401k. They put everything in their business and it's finally, it's gone through the U. It's gone down and you're finally getting some revenue. You're coming back up the other side of the U. How do I take a little bit off the table for myself? The normal solution or product that helps there is a 401k. And so, okay, that's beginning a liquidity event. That's why I looked into being a SEPA. I don't want to do the work you're talking about. So do me a favor, Alan. Talk about the relationships that a SEPA should have and what a, what is the role of a SEPA for that business owner? So for the people that are familiar with football, I would think most of us are, we all know what the quarterback is. That's the guy that's kind of, you know, making sure everything happens for everybody else on the field. And that's, that's kind of where I see myself. So, and I don't do all this stuff myself. It may sound like I do, but the way that I'm kind of re-engineering my practice is that I don't want to 
limit myself in terms of impact because I feel like with all my skills and all my connections, I can do a lot better than just working with three, four, five clients per month, right? I, I can do better than that. So what I'm actually trying to do now, or I'm working on as a matter of fact, is I'm putting together a mastermind where I put business owners into this mastermind and then connect them with all the people that they need to be connected with along the path of them planning the liquidity event and the wealth management. So you're creating an ecosystem for business owners to help them go through the exit planning process as efficiently as possible. And so are you, how are you building these relationships? So if I come to you as a business owner, how do I know I can trust you and the, the network and relationships that you're building, Alan? How do I know they're good? Well, the first thing is that once you talk to me, like if you just, if you're listening to me on this podcast, you understand that I obviously know what I'm talking about. So the very first thing that I'm going to take you through is I've got a half day VIP consult. It's a four hour consult. And the re I break it up into two, two hour consults for the very specific reason that if I sit with you for four hours, your brain's going to be on fire and that's not going to help you. 100%. So we, we go through this 30 day engagement where we do the VIP consult. It's a two hour the first week, two hour the second week where we put together the plan. I ask you a bunch of questions. I take you through all the stuff. And then after that, we start implementing the plan in week three and week four as a one hour consult. After we go through those 30 days, you've got options. Would you like to take what we've built together and run with it? Or would you like to continue? When you get ready to continue, which is what most people are doing at this point, we'll work together month month by month, week by week, and we'll just talk each time. And my job is not necessarily to do the work. My job is to qualify the people in your business that can actually do the work, and it shouldn't be you. Right. So that's that's what that looks like. And in terms of all the other things like that's, of course, just me doing the work mostly. But when it comes time, I'm not a wealth manager. Right. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an attorney, but I'm in two high level masterminds where all of those people are. So earlier I talked about me being able to touch a button and connect with five thousand people that want to buy businesses in these mergers and acquisition groups. Now, all of those people know, like and trust me and they all know what I'm working on building. They're like, you're like one of the few exit planners slash quote unquote business brokers in here. Everybody else wants to just, you know, go out and buy a business. You actually want to bring people to the table so the rest of us can buy the businesses from you. And I'm like, yeah. So if you're listening to what I'm saying, and this is making sense to you, me connecting you with a wealth manager, a CPA or an attorney is that. It's not that big of a deal. I think that's awesome. How or who else should be included in that, in your experience? What about a business valuation specialist? Well, I do have, well, I don't have a specific business valuation specialist. And anyone that can do business valuations has other designations and other things that they can do. Like I've got a CPA that can do it. I've got a business broker that can do it. I've got, no, that attorney, he, he doesn't do it. But I've got two people that I can think of off the top of my head right now. If I needed a business valuation, I could say, hey, Jeremiah, I need this, or hey, Shina, I need this, and we can get it done. Awesome. Well, I've got some I can add to your network too. So actually, this is good. I'll go back to the podcast itself. So what I've built, and because you and I don't know each other as as well as some of my other guests who are veterans, uh, most of my guests are also in our mastermind. So I have the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass. It's This is a podcast, also YouTube channel, but we also have a networking group. And the same thing that you're building I've built for veterans. And so I've got the M&A guy. I've got the accountants. I've got the valuation specialist. Most are, are veterans. 
And so if you're a veteran entrepreneur, it just makes sense to have the ecosystem there. So I can give you some, any, any holes you have, as long as you're okay with a veteran here and there, I can give you some names to help plug in that network. But I love what you're doing because you're thinking, you and I actually think, think very much alike. So I, I'm really enjoying this podcast. What would you say if I am a business owner? And okay, I'm on board. I've drank the Kool-Aid. I know I have to get the stuff out of my head and down, or I have a good operations team, or I have an operations manager or a COO already, chief, uh, chief operations officer, and all the procedures are down and the, and the business is running. And I'm able to golf three days a week and I'm kind of halfway out the door already. You know, I got my kids. I'm thinking about the business, but I don't know. So what about the family dynamic? If I'm trying to think of the future of the business, the family dynamic versus the management team versus strategic buyer. You know, my employees have been loyal for, you know, 10 plus 20 years. And am I just going to walk away and leave them and sell it to someone else they don't know? Should I consider them? When you're thinking of the future of your business, Alan, what are you seeing when you're chatting with those owners? Are you thinking about their family? Is it management? Is it an outside strategic buyer? What do you kind of, what are you seeing in your experience? Well, a lot of people are not familiar with an ESOP, and I'm not an ESOP specialist by any way, shape, or form, but I do have someone in my network who is. And when I explain that, I'm sorry, jargon. Thank you. Um, I was going to call you out when you, when, you, when, you got down a break, when you had a moment there. I was going to say, what's right. an ESOP? Um, I, is it, is employee, it, I stock employee stock ownership. ownership. Yeah, employee plan. stock ownership. There it's you go. employee Good stock job. ownership plan. So this means that your employees would technically be buying the business from you, and it allows you to be – in the business, but also have one foot out of the business. And it allows your employees to keep this very simple to participate in the ownership of the business. And that works really well for owners who see their employees more like family members. That's a wonderful opportunity, right? That That's a great thing. There's also um, a management buyout, right? So if you're looking at your managers and not saying that you don't care about your employees, but if you think your managers are more capable of running the business without you there, then you can also do a management buyout. Um, then there's, you know, family intergenerational transfers. But what I'm seeing most, honestly, is that people are really, the people I've been talking to so far, I'm not saying this for the wide market, but the people I've been talking to are mostly interested in looking at selling to a third party. And the reason for that is because as an online business owner, you typically don't have a lot of staff and a lot of management and have been running it for 30 years. You just want to sell it and go on to your next thing. So although I can help pretty much any business owner, my preference is online because that's my background. And those are most of the people that I'm talking to at this point. So that's that's what I'm seeing. Good, good. And appreciate you clarifying that. I was going to say because there's a manufacturing, there's white collar, there's blue collar, the brick and mortar. So you're doing more e-commerce, right? Or maybe not e-commerce, but just digital in nature. We don't have brick and mortar. Okay. Okay. And then so if someone says, okay, I I have to get my procedures down. I have to think about the future. The big piece you chatted about, I think we both chatted about it briefly though, which is what is your identity going to be? And so I would say for anyone listening, if you are an entrepreneur and you're thinking about your business and you are your business, you're, I'm Brett, the so-and-so, you're Alan, the so-and-so, who are you going to be once that so-and-so, that business is gone, right? And what are your plans? Are, what are you going to do in the morning? Where, where are you going to go? Are you going to go for a walk? Are you going to go golf? Are you going to start another business? Having that plan so the next step is huge. And for for the audience of my podcast, I'm going to go back to something which can apply. If you're a veteran, I speak with veterans all day long. And so many veterans are stuck 
in the past of when they were in back in the day when they were in the military, they were a, they were B, they were this, 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 that chapter's closed. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you realize that chapter's closed and you, you, then you can move forward in the next chapter. You can't, you can't drive forward, look in the rear view mirror. So for any business owner, that business, once they're gone, that it's great. They had the experience checking the boxes there and they made some money, hopefully able to provide their family and, and added value for their clients. And that chapter's closed. So having a plan for that next endeavor is crucial, right? And then, so once someone says, okay, I know what I'm going to be doing. I've got that figured out. I've got some ideas, some SOPs there. And if someone wants to really sink their teeth into it, because this whole process can be daunting, right? And I always say, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? But what is the first thing you guys kind of do besides that assessment What's the first thing you work on in the business? Is it risk reduction? Is it kind of helping seeing what could hurt the business and try and shore that up first? Or what do you generally see when you're in the operations of the SEPA process, of the exit planning process? The reason I'm asking, I don't want our listeners to feel overwhelmed. There's too much, right? So there could be a lot of work to be done. However, we do one step at a time. So what is that first step you normally see or do, Alan? So the way that I kind of work on everything is I kind of work on it as a SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. And we, I take that same framework to every little piece of the exit plan. So what's our strength here? What's our weakness here? What's our opportunity here? What's our threat here? And when I do it that way, it's only four steps each time. And as we do it, you can understand like, okay, well, these two things match up as strengths. I should focus here. These two things match up as weaknesses. I need to get rid of them. These two things are opportunities. Let me prioritize which one I want to do first. And this item is a threat and I've never even thought about it before. What can I do to address this? So that's generally how I, how I look at it. I like that. So for you, and we're coming up on time now, so I want to be efficient here for you with your background as a marketer, digital marketer, I guess, is that experience there and transitioning into a, a SEPA or certified exit planning advisor. What is the ideal client for you? My preferred client is probably e-com, e-learning, and software as a service. So if you're doing, and I don't want to knock everybody out here, but if we're talking about my acquisition criteria, my buy box, yeah, let's be there. So speak, we're looking at, you're doing at least $2 million a year in revenue. You're probably doing at least four to five hundred dollar, four, four to five hundred thousand in profits per year. You've owned the business at least three to five years. And you've got at least, especially in my field, if I can get somebody with 10 employees, I'm over the moon. I'll take five though. Um, that's generally what I'm looking for. Like those companies, if you fit into any of those niches and you have those characteristics, those are my best kind of clients. And so if the entrepreneur says, Oh, that's me. I want to chat with Alan. Alan, how does someone find you? The absolute best thing you can do is you can reach out to me on LinkedIn and or Facebook. I'm available on both. I'm always on both. It's facebook.com slash Alan T. Gregory. Or you can also find me at LinkedIn at the same thing, Alan T. Gregory. And the other part is if you'd like to download my uh, white paper, I call it a research report. It's how to sell your business for maximum value. It's a 30-page report. I don't expect you to read all of it, but if you do read all of it, you're going to look at it and be like, okay, I need to do all of this. Let me talk to Alan immediately. The way that you can get that is you go to www.workwithalan.com. 
www.workwithalan.com. This is great. So this has been a very enlightening and educational episode for us both. And I love having another peer on because we're both SIPAs, we're in the space, but we're different. And that's that's the power of collaboration. And so now that I know who you are and what you do, I can refer you to my clients. And then if you need a wealth manager, hey, I'll throw a, uh, throw my name and throw my hat in the ring, so to speak, if that's okay there. So this has been a phenomenal episode of the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass, everyone. Look forward to seeing you guys again. Alan, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Take care.